Hi, I'm Frances LaCuesta, and you're listening to Big Impact Women. This podcast explores what it's like to live life in purpose, to discover our unique gifts, and be a contribution to the world. Each episode features conversations with courageous women thought leaders, spiritual teachers, authors, artists, and social entrepreneurs on making an impact with their work, navigating through the challenges and struggles they face in their lives and the lessons they learn from these experiences. I see grief as as woven in with celebration and sometimes we're walking through a moment that it that feels extra painful and sometimes we're walking through a moment that feels neutral and then sometimes we're walking through a moment that feels joyful and celebratory and i think for my i can just speak for for myself in my own life i'm interested in living a life that has a full range In today's episode, I'm speaking with Reverend Jennifer Cormier. She's a grief guide who brings 20 years of experience in the healing arts to clients who are moving through life transitions and grief. Jen is committed to the evolution of how we relate to death and walk with our grief. She believes that when we shift our perspective to include our bodies in our grieving process, and see grief as a creative collaborator in our lives, we open the door to healing and peace. Here's my conversation with Reverend Jennifer Cormier. Uh, first off, thank you for being here. Um, I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to have this conversation with you. And I know that you have uh, such a, a beautiful story behind why you're doing grief work. And so um, can you share that to us? So what's the story behind how you got into grief work? So the story behind how I got into grief work really revolves around my personal journey with grief after my dad died in 2012. And I was visiting my parents over the holidays in 2009 when they told me my dad was diagnosed with a stage four prostate cancer. And I had been living in Oregon at the time. I was about to start my business and my practice as a massage therapist there. I had just gone to massage school and gotten my license. And um, it was just so important to me that I have the final months with my dad before he, he died. They had originally given him three months to live. So um, we ended up having three years together um, and went on a, a a family healing journey, really, and a father-daughter healing journey. And I was hoping for a complete remission. And we had a dream of him writing a book and us helping families everywhere, you know, get through cancer and have, you know, miracles happen. And that wasn't the case. And he died three years later. And when um, I was really just devastated and I had never experienced a grief um, a loss that big before in my life. 
so I had reached out for help with from one of my mentors who told me um, to really take grief by the hand and to let grief be my teacher and walk with it through all the holidays and all the seasons for a full year and really slow down and see what, what the teaching is there for me. And I really took that to heart and um, took 15 minutes a day was all I could handle, you know, at the beginning, just to be with grief and, and walk with it in the woods, go on the same path. My dad and I used to go and take the rescue dog out to the woods. And I was able to start dancing again slowly. And grief taught me a whole lot about living. And I was able to finally de- finally declare I wanted to have a child after that year of really grieving fully. And um, I went on a cross-country road trip that I had dreamed about for 10 years. So in retrospect now, almost uh, a decade later, I'm able to look back and say, wow, it's because I did so much grieving and I really leaned into my grief and I learned from my grief. Because of that, I was able to really live my life more fully than if I hadn't done that work. I don't think that I, I might not have ever had a child or now I've gone cross country three times and had a couple adventures with my son who's almost seven. So, so that's how I got into, into my work with grief. And now I help other people move through, um, through really big losses in their life and get to the other side and find peace and connection and start living again as well. That's really, um, a very touching story in a way. And and I, I especially love when you said that using grief as my teacher and how you were transformed by grief and how, because you stayed with grief. For a lot of us, um, this is not easy, right? That there is a tendency for some who, when there is not even a sense of sadness or loss, but if there is a big emotion that is present or something that feels, you know, discomfort or something that's just um, not easy to express. And we've experienced loss. Then there is that sense of denial that also comes with it. So what does grief mean to you? And why do you think experiencing grief is an important process to go through in life? Mm. What a beautiful question. Um, what grief means to me has really evolved over time. Um, back when my dad died, grief meant really intense sadness and heaviness. And because I leaned into grief, I learned that it actually was uh, a transformational healing process. Really, it was a it was a an opportunity. Grief really gave me an opportunity to do some of the deepest healing work of my life. And now I see grief as more of a, a, a container, like a big basket or a, a big uh, tapestry that's woven. So it's not just, you know, the deep, dark, challenging emotions, but it's Yes, it's sadness. Yes, it's heaviness. Yes, it's disappointment and hurt. It's also anger. Um, there, there might be guilt or resentment or shame. There also might be gratitude and beauty and pleasure and joy. So, 
So now I see grief more as a, as a container for all of those emotions or as a, as a journey that we can really walk through all of, um, all of the cycles and all the seasons internally and externally to really um, live a richer life. Wow. Some people, though, um, when they experience a sense of loss, or it can be not just losing someone you love, but it could be losing a job or losing income. And especially with what's happening right now, you know, it's like losing one's freedom. And sometimes it's hard to to identify that what you're going through is is actually grief. So how does one know that she's she's grieving? Mm. Yeah, I like that you highlighted that point that sometimes when we hear the word grief that we think, oh, this is related to death. But grief can also be, you know, we can also feel grief for the loss of a job or an identity, a home, a loss of freedom, all of those things that you mentioned. So there are bigger, smaller, different shapes and sizes and uh, textures of grief. Um, and how do we know that it's grief? You know, at this point, my understanding is of grief is really that, that I'm constantly moving through. It's, I, I see my, my life walk really as a walk. I spend a lot of time in labyrinths. I really love labyrinths. And if you're familiar or your listeners are familiar with a labyrinth, it's, it's different than a maze, right? A maze, you walk through it and you get stuck. There are dead ends. You know, you have to make the right choice. And if you don't, you know, you've got to turn around. But a labyrinth, uh, you never get stuck. And if you keep walking, you'll always find your way to the center. And the center of a labyrinth is represents unconditional love. And I think that that is the journey when we have, we, like you said, we're, gosh, I, you know, we're, we all experience loss because we're human. You know, there's none of us are immune to experiencing major loss because that's the nature of the world, right? Things are, are created and things are destroyed all the time. So, um, so if we love fully, we're going to have some level of, of attachment and we're going to, we're going to go through pain and hurt when we lose the things that we love. So I see grief as, as woven in with celebration. And sometimes we're walking through a moment that it, that feels extra painful. And sometimes we're walking through a moment that feels neutral. And then sometimes we're walking through a moment that feels joyful and celebratory. And I think for my, I can just speak for, for myself in my own life. I'm interested in living a life that has a full range. So I was a black and white photographer in college. I was a, a fine arts major and spent, you know, hours and hours in the dark room with black and white, old school <laughs> photography, film photography. And, you know, the, the, this was before digital was a thing. And 
the idea with black and white photography is you want to get the blacks really rich, like really deep, deep, dark blacks. And you want to get like really bright, bright, bright whites. And then you want to see all the gradations in between because black and white photography is all about light because you don't have color you to to make it beautiful. You, you just are looking at the pure light in all the gradations of gray. So this is just coming to mind now as I'm speaking because you know, I see grief as really woven in to my walk. So every day there's something to celebrate and every day there's something to grieve. So I don't see it as, oh, you know, my grandmother died however many, however long ago, I'm no longer grieving her. Now everything is good. You know, <laughs> I think we want in our culture, we're very like, we want to put everything in a box and go, okay, uh, this person died, you're grieving for exactly two weeks or six weeks or however long, and now you move on and there's a wedding and the wedding is purely happy and we are celebrating. You know, we want to, you know, babies are happy, weddings are happy, you know, deaths are sad, divorces are bad. You know, there's this like sort of this, everything's a black and white world where really, no, we've got the, the deep, dark blacks, the bright, bright whites, and we've got every single gradation of gray in between. And a beautiful life, just like a really beautifully done photograph, has all of the different gradations in between. And I think it's really about living well is about grieving well and celebrating well and experiencing the peaceful, neutral moments in between. So there's just so much. So I'm just writing furiously here because that's how I take notes. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how so I, I remember, yeah. but there's just Great. so many yeah. things that you mentioned here that are just like, you know, there's so many things going on in my mind when you say that. And I love how you made black and white photography as an analogy to how we go through grief or what grief is. And I used to also do black and white photography way back when, <laughs> when we were still using film and how I also deeply love yeah. the process of it. And you know, that, that taking that, that photograph, but don't, you don't know what's going to come out. Right. And you yes, have to go, right. it has to go through the chemicals. It has to go through a certain kind of process for it to come out. If it's, you know, did I capture it properly? Was I able to, um, uh, cause I know you have to agitate the, the container and then make sure that the chemicals actually like, um, process the film. And did I do it correctly? And what comes out of it, and I think that's where where it is the beauty of of where what grief is in our lives, and how you want it also to come out as a perfect picture for all of those those um, you said the the gradations, the, um, the blacks and the whites, right, or the lights that come in, and also the shadows, right. So I remember my teacher would always say that you know the, the shadow here, and I used to not understand, like okay, I just took the picture. But you know, I, I just like the way it looks. But then when you when you um when you refer it back to to our conversation right now with grief, it does make a lot of sense. And you also mentioning about grieving and celebrating at the same time and not putting grief in a box that after this years or this number of months, I'm done. Okay, I'm over, I'm not grieving anymore. And I remember um, one of the, the biggest losses that I actually also have an experience, aside from losing um, my, my loved ones, is going through a heartbreak and having to, to 
go through that process. And I remember Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in her, you know, stages of grief, and I was reading through it and found that I I experienced all of the steps. I know that you don't have to experience all of them, but then I felt that I did. And I didn't even know that. All I knew was that I was going through a lot of, of pain and heartache during that time. And I felt like I stayed in a part of, of depression. I was depressed for several years. And I just stayed in that little bubble that I felt like, oh, I've, I, this is a feeling of loss. But I never really attributed it to grief. I never thought of it as grief. So um, what do you think is the hardest stage of grief mm, that people wow. go through? What a great question. And uh, thank you for sharing that story about, about the loss of your relationship because breakups, you know, whether, whether they're divorces, marriages that fall apart or, or relationships that fall apart can be some of the most challenging grief experiences. And thank you for speaking to that because yeah, sometimes we'll just be depressed for so long and not even realize, oh my gosh, I was grieving that relationship. But, you know, we, I, I think that there's a pressure on us to, you know, quote unquote, get on with our lives, right? You should just get on with it. Just go start dating or, you know, he wasn't good for you or whatever, you know, whatever the, the things. So our mind, I think that the, the, I, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily attribute one of those stages in grief as the hardest, because that's probably different for each person. I think the grief journey is very individual and everyone experiences it differently. And like you said, and Elizabeth uh, Kubler-Ross said this too, that yeah, not everybody experiences all of these stages and they're not all in order. It's just, here are things that many people experience. And it's like, they, they don't necessarily, they don't go in order and it's okay if you don't get all of these, but just to know you're okay. I think that's the main, main thing is to know, oh, I'm not, doing anything wrong if I'm experiencing anger or I'm experiencing denial, right? If any of these things, I, I am normal. I'm okay. Many other people all over the world are experiencing these th same things. So I think that that will lessen our suffering if we acknowledge that we are grieving. And what increases our suffering is that battle of trying to push it away or say, you know, I don't want to deal with this. Whether we consciously are saying that out loud or we're overworking, we've got three jobs or we're drinking wine or over the counter prescription pain medication or shopping or, you know, <laughs> there's so many things we can do and so many things we can get addicted to, to, um, you know, avoid the pain of our grief. But really what happens is, it doesn't go away. We're just suffering more because we're fighting with what's true as opposed to being with it. And when we can be with it, it actually lessens our suffering instead of, you know, we think, oh no, I'm going to feel pain if I feel the pain. No, you're going to feel more suffering if you don't sit with it.
sitting with the pain. Right? I mean, not a lot of people enjoy the notion of <laughs> sit with it. And um, so you talked about some of the ways that people do, like the behavior that we take on when we want to avoid um, pain or or anger or you know grief. Uh, so these are the maladaptive ways that they use to cope, right? And one of the things that you mentioned is also first is to acknowledge that you are grieving. But then others don't really know um, how to express themselves, that they are going through that. They probably know that they are going through that, but they don't have the support system. They don't have, you know, people that they can go to that they can just say, hey, can you just be with me, you know? And so they turn to something else to avoid experiencing or feeling that, to numb it. Now, what are some of the practical methods that you that you have um, in your practice uh, to help people to become more aware of grief and process it in a more healthy way. Yeah. Um, can I, can I answer that and also go back to something that you just said at the beginning of that? So I, I'd like you to re-ask me that question, but you said something about um, how challenging it is for so many of us to sit in the pain. And what I, what, what came to me when you said that was, I think a lot of people actually, they, they sit in the pain, I don't know, three quarters of the way or something like they'll, they'll spend a lot of energy blaming and complaining, you know, um, like sitting with friends, oh, this is terrible. And they'll feel enough to, to complain and blame, but they're not allowing themselves to feel it in their nervous system, in their bodies. So I'm tying that back to the answer of what do I do? You know, how do I help people who maybe are just acknowledging that they have grief, but then how do I, how do I deal with this grief instead of numbing it? How can I do something that is adaptive, that is supportive to myself and my system instead of, you know, numbing. And the answer to that is like you said, number one, um, being in community, getting support from others, not isolating. And number two, um, really including the body in the process. So not staying stuck in the head and I'm just going to talk about it and blame and blah. Story is very healing and important to tell our stories um, and to tell those to trusted people, uh, friends, counselors, mentors, therapists, right? Um, so telling our story is important, but often we stop there. So there are bereavement groups, uh, grief groups, often where it's just about the talking. And really, it's important to include the body in the grieving process. So for me, that looked like a lot of walking in nature, a lot of walking in the woods, and a lot of singing and dancing. I, I remember going into my dance studio and playing all my dad's favorite songs and singing the songs and bawling, you know, just crying, rolling around the floor to his favorite music and writing down the lyrics and singing and crying and then dancing and feeling my body as I was experiencing grief. And that is something that we need to either learn or relearn 
or just give ourselves permission to do. I mean, we are mammals. So we know, you know, if you look at mammals out in the world, if you look at dogs, they have a, a traumatic moment and they'll shake, you know, they'll shake it off. And, and we have that same wisdom in our body to wail, to shake, to dance, to roll around when we go through uh, a trauma a loss. Um, but we're sort of conditioned socially out of it, you know, to, okay, I've got to put on black and stand up tall and look this way and put myself together for work. Right. So if we give ourselves the space and time and the permission to vocalize and to move, we can actually acknowledge that grief in all of our layers and let it naturally move us and move through us. And that is so important. So I I bring that, that's the sort of lens of expertise that I bring to the table of grief work because I have a background as a massage therapist, uh, both Eastern and Western modalities of massage, um, as a yoga therapist, yoga teacher. Uh, I help people for 20 years out, get out of physical and emotional pain, um, through therapeutic Pilates. So really including the body in the process of healing in our grief process is so important to, um, to let what needs to move, move and literally not get stuck in the tissues of the body. Yeah. I'm glad you raised that actually, um, the importance of using the body as a way to also, you know, work work with grief because I mean even in um, the work of, in trauma right so the body remembers even just our the language of our body when we are sad right so it's closed but when we are dancing or singing it's probably like wide open and just that alone and you know and also spending a lot of time let's say just crying what does the body feel right in moments when you're when you're doing that? when you feel like also being just alone, not having people to support you or just that deep kind of sadness and it's still closing in. When we are in that space of like depression or even like sadness or a pro- prolonged state of grief, there's also a tendency for us to, um, in terms of, you know, experiencing like sickness, right? Or, or our, our body feels it. Our body is the one taking the hit Right, of what we're going through. And um, with that, the body is our vehicle. And what do we do to also take care of it? So I know our minds can be everywhere else, right? Just going around. And how it can, what we think, what we feel, how it ex- how we experience it physically. So I don't know if you if you want to add to that or you have anything else that you want to share. Yeah, absolutely. Um when you were when you were speaking, what resonated with me is talking about how, yeah, you know, our body will naturally move into different positions when we're feeling, you know, shame or anger or crying, you know, we go internal, our body shifts. Um, so it's so important to allow the body to do what it naturally wants to do and not to push it to be neutral or to do the opposite, right? So I think often grief takes longer or we get into this long 
long-term depressed state because we didn't let our body move through that anger or that sadness, right? We're like, oh, I should, you know, with my mind, I quote unquote should put on a happy face. I should, right? So to really allow the body to move through its emotions. And then what happens is when we do that, we can't actually stay in any emotion for a sustained period of time. Um, you know, if, for example, I have a, a, a process that's a, a grief dancing process that um, sometimes we'll pull in dream work and find songs through our dreams or, you know, songs that were, were, were memorable ones around, you know, say the death of a loved one, the songs that my dad loved, things like that, and put together a playlist that's really, um, uh, some of the songs are purposefully moving to our hearts and other songs might be ones we just find that might be surprising. So really allowing uh, um, the, the spirit of song to come in and let our just have some time with ourselves to let our body be moved by music or by its own process. And even if we are doing movement, like a, for an example, an authentic movement process where you have uh, traditionally no music at all, and you just allow your eyes to close and you sit with your breath in your body, you can really feel what's present in the moment and if you allow that, you can, you can watch how it will evolve and shift, you know, minute by minute. And you might, you know, I've had so many moments where I've experienced such a range of humanity in my body in just seven minutes. You know, I'll go through like leaning against a wall, crawling on the floor, wailing, like my mouth open, softness, pleasure, you know, there'd just be all of this different um, texture, emotional texture in just seven minutes because I'm allowing it to move through me. So, um, there's just such an important, important point to let the body cry when it needs to cry, right? Let it, let it be where it is. So good that you pointed that out to not forcing, not striving it to be in any way, right? But just simply allowing it. So I'm, I'm hearing that, what you are saying is also bringing in a sense of awareness that if we bring that you know consciousness into the the process like you said that seven minutes of 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 practice that you shared it's just being able to um be with the emotions and bringing in the awareness that we don't stay in one emotion for a long time, right? So it shifts. Whether there is that, whether there's crying, you also sense is there sadness or is there like a feeling of happiness or a feeling of release or relief in there? Or is there anger that comes through it too? And even in the span of seven minutes, like you said, you know, there's that um, dancing, there's that singing, and or not even like doing anything, but just being with the music or being in that moment. And I think that is, um, that is a good way to to sit with it, right? To to sit, quote unquote, with it, and it doesn't have to be literally like sitting, but even just dancing or going through the movement and just allowing your body wherever it takes you. Yeah, and you know, 
just really that concept um, of welcoming what is. Frank Ostaseski uh, wrote a beautiful book called The Five Invitations. And you know, the first invitation is to welcome what is. And I really love how beautifully he puts that. So it's, I just, as opposed to, you know, acceptance, self-acceptance, welcoming what is, has got such a warm feeling to it. And, and it's a real healing act to welcome what is because we may have experienced so many times in our lives where we've been rejected by our parents as small children or by lovers or you know, partners or friends or, you know, social injustices. So beginning to welcome what is, is such a a healing practice. And my invitation to clients is to welcome what is in whatever way is easiest at the time. So you mentioned sitting meditation. And for those of us that have a practice or meditation practice already, it might be easy to say, okay, I'm going to set a timer and do my 30 minute meditation. But for someone who doesn't have a background in meditation to ask them to get a meditation cushion and sit up tall and set a timer when they just went through a major loss, it's like, are you kidding? You know, I can't even get out of bed. I can't get off the couch. You know, I'm so heavy. What What are you asking me to do? So really just taking those welcoming what is those steps little tiny bit by little tiny bit so that that might look for one person an easy step might be a 15 minute seated meditation but for another person it might just be you know setting a timer for three minutes and putting a hand on the belly and a hand on the heart and breathing while they're in bed and just noticing their breath in bed for three minutes and that might be a big challenging step so making that welcoming as easy as possible. Let me just summarize this a bit on some of the methods that you shared. So the first is to um, being in community and getting support, right? So it could be in a bereavement group or it could be in any um, support group, um, friends, family, or counselors, therapists, right? Or grief guides like you, right? To having that. Second is including the body in the process. And you mentioned about even, you know, walking in nature, singing and dancing. And um, yeah, just going through this, learning to sit, but also in a way that is easiest for you and welcoming, welcoming what is, right? So I also am hearing that, you know, you've mentioned this earlier, is grieving and celebrating at the same time. Right. So it could be that one moment we are still, you know, you are still grieving, but at the same time, you also see that there is something to celebrate here that in, in micro steps that you're doing, you are celebrating. Right. And not necessarily forgetting what, you know, 
like example, if you're going through um, losing a loved one, not necessarily forgetting that, but moving forward um, one step at a time. So these are what I am getting from some of the methods that you have shared. So how do you how do you use your experience of grief into something, into transforming it, um, into making this as a gift, more as a gift, what these emotions and processes taught you? How do you transform that? So I think that there are a lot of answers to that. And I've, I've done that in several different ways. And the one thing that comes to mind, thank you for that beautiful um, overview. Um, so one way is to use my body to transform it. So to allow that welcoming of what is to move through my body, whether that's, and for me, I, I have a, a background in the arts and dance. So for me, that's dance. It might be different for, for different people, right? Um, another way to transform it is to have it witnessed. Um, so moving through the body is one, getting a witness from, like you said, a mentor, a counselor, a grief guide, uh, or a, a supportive community to hear your story. So really allowing your story to be told and retold. And for me, when I, when I really stepped into this work as a grief guide, and I told the story about my dad over and over and over again on different podcasts and interviews and with clients and, you know, workshops and masterclasses, as I retold my story, it shifted. And now when I went back to share it with a storytelling mentor of mine, she said, Oh my goodness, over the last year, um, it's changed so much. You know, you had so much emotion coming up. You were so, um, really taken down in it a year ago where now I can hear all the healing and I can hear how many times you've told the story. So there's something about telling and retelling of story um, that is healing and to be heard and seen and understood over time. Um, and I think that that can also include the body. So uh, I have, um, I have a, a, you know, a community of, of colleagues who are expressive arts therapists, for example. And I've also learned body work in the non-Western traditional way and in, in the uh, traditional Thai um, massage lineage and the traditional North American body work lineage. And in those lineages, the body isn't just the body. It's not just tissue and bone. Uh, it is a sacred um, layered vessel that carries our story in our physical being. So that when we, um, that massage is a healing practice itself. And when we get touched in different places, there are, this, our story lives in our body and, and it can be moved and be healed through through touch and through awareness. So for example, if someone had a trauma, um, a fall, for example, and they had a, some neck trauma or they, they were 
They had an abusive situation, some trauma around the neck. By being held, when you get held around your neck, it's going to bring that trauma forward, that experience forward. And without, you know, pushing the system, going gently, if, if that's ready to release, that can be moved through the body with, with touch or with movement. So that's why I, I really love both of those ways to move story. It's like actually the, the three main ways that I see story move are through the voice, which is probably the most obvious, through movement and through touch. I do agree that, you know, storytelling is a huge part of the healing process. And, I, and, and I've seen how, you know, its power. And like you said, the more you tell the story repeatedly, it doesn't, it doesn't lose its essence, the, the essence of your story, but it does make you, um, it helps you heal, right? Just keeps, uh, when you keep telling your story to other people, not only does it inspire, encourage, or empower others, the hearing the same thing, right? Because story does get, you know, um, empathy. It develops empathy and knowing that the other person can say that, hey, me too. And that can help them with their own healing journey if they're also going through the same kind of experience as you do. As we are wrapping up this conversation, um, you have touched on a lot of a lot of um, things, right? That pertains to to grief. And touch also for me is one of those um, a process, touch therapy that you mentioned is also one of the process that I feel is also important because it it also pertains to the body, right? Just having, um, uh, getting a hug or even just, you know, being touched on the hand, holding someone's hand, not necessarily... Um, if we are if we are with people who are grieving or are going through loss or depression, sometimes it helps more to just be there, maybe just touching, right? But not necessarily having to give advice. I remember this uh, story from Parker Palmer's book "Let Your Life Speak." He mentioned about uh, he went through depression for several years, and he was really in this dark space and people would come to him and give him you know advice or um telling him like you know things or stuff that you know hey you're gonna you know you you're gonna be all right or um you're gonna go through it you've done so many great things but what he said was that those words or those words of advice sometimes brought him to an even darker place. It made him more depressed. But one of the things that actually really helped him was when his good friend came to him one day and, you know, didn't even say much, but started to just massage his feet. And that for him was just like, you know, um, like a, like a way of saying that I'm here with you and I'm here with you in your dark moments. And I don't even have, you know, to say that. But just to acknowledge what you're feeling, what you're going through. So so that's just what came into mind when you talk about the body and touch. That's that's really beautiful. And and I 
I asked, I have a, um, a grief and grace. It's a private group on Facebook. And I asked my community on there and there's hundreds of people. And I said, you know, what is the, what, ha, what helped you the most? Right. Or what, I think I, I posed the question, what were the most comforting words that were spoken to you, you know, after the loss of a loved one? And I've got so many responses and about 95% of the responses I would say were, you know, when someone didn't say anything, when they were just there with me, when they just gave me a hug, when they, you know, so really there's so much power to not trying to fix it. Right. Not trying to, because I think that's as a friend, we're like, oh, oh, they're in pain. I want to help them. I want to make it better. I want to fix it. And um, I just read that the children's story, you know, there was an old lady who swallowed a fly. I don't know if you know that American song. It's um, it's a popular uh, I don't know why it's popping in my mind right now. So I'll just I'll share it with you. So if you if you grew up in the United States, likely you were, you've learned this song, but it, I won't go through the whole thing, but it starts with, you know, I know this, there was an old woman who swallowed a fly. I don't know why she swallowed a fly. Perhaps she'll die. And then she swallows a spider that wiggled and jiggled and iggled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly. I don't know why she swallowed the fly. Perhaps she'll die. And then she swallows a cat to catch the spider. Swall or swallows a bird, then swallows a cat, then swallows a dog. It goes on and on and on and on, you know, and it's repetitive. So you could go on forever. And then it ends with, you know, she swallowed a horse and she died, of course, you know, <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's a funny, silly children's, you know, song. And I was sitting with it uh, this past week because I was really studying different children's story stories and, and what they have to teach us. And it's like that desire we have. We want to fix it. Right. Oops. I swallowed a fly. Oops. I made a mistake. You no, know, but now I've got to swallow the spider because it makes sense because he's going to catch the, the fly. But oh no, now I have a spider jiggling inside me. So now I got to fall. So it's like this, this compulsion, we have to fix it. We got to fix it with this and we got to fix it with that. And oh no, my friends, you know, whoever died, I've got to go over and help him and I got to fix it. And we want to say the right things. Like it'll be better for blah, 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 or he's in a better place or whatever, whatever those those things that we say, we go, oh gosh, you know, that was not the right thing or that was not helpful. So really it's such a beautiful gift that you're bringing forward of just a foot massage or just showing up with a hug, just showing up with some food and, you know, just lean against me and I'm here with you and that's it is so healing and so powerful. So, um, that's one thing that, that listeners can take away when they go, gosh, I don't know what to do when I have a loved one that just lost something big in their life. Just, just show up and say, hey, I'm here with you. I love you. I'm here with you. Yeah, it's very important to actually like uh, raise that also because we are just awkward in situations like that, right? Like we don't know how to act sometimes. Like, I mean, I want to be there for that person. It's all in good intention, Right, like we want to comfort, but then in that comforting, um, we sometimes also uh, fail to to realize that maybe that person, you know, doesn't really need those words, don't really need to hear those words, but just your presence. Yeah. So con considering showing up with that comfort, not from the mind and not with the words, but show up with a comforting presence with your heart and your body and see what happens. Lead with your heart, lead with your 
lead with your whole body and, and slow down and see what happens. Um, just to end this, um, Jen, I want to ask you this question, you know, if, is there anything that I missed here that you want to share with, with the people or you want people to know? I think we, we, we covered so much. What a, what a rich conversation, what a rich conversation and surprising things that, that came up as well. You know, the photography analogy and all of those things. So really, really, um, really enjoy this conversation. Um, there's nothing off the bat um, beyond what what we already shared, and you did a beautiful job, um, you know, covering an overview. I would say, um, you know, just for people to realize that if you're if you had a loss recently and you're feeling whatever it is that you're feeling, that it's okay to whatever whatever's moving is okay. And just encouraging folks to really be gentle with themselves and to reach out for support, however that looks like for you. Uh, if you're already part of a community, um, to, to reach out to the people who love you and say, hey, I'm really struggling and I'm not sure what I need. Or, hey, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling. I think I just need like your presence. Would you be willing to come over and just sit with me? go for a walk together, something like that, something really simple. So um, just practice a real um, gentleness with yourself and know it's okay to ask for help. That's a good way to end. And so Jen, thank you so much once again for being here. I just really enjoyed this conversation. I didn't know where it was going to go either, but I'm so glad you raised a lot of, uh, a lot of things earlier and uh, just to make this uh, conversation even more um, you know go go deeper right so so with that um, um, thank you and um, I hope to have you back here again soon thank you so much Francis thank you for listening to big impact women you can read and download a full transcript at bigimpactwomen.com forward slash podcast. If you like this episode and want to hear more, hit the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. If you feel moved and inspired, head to iTunes and leave us a review. I love hearing your feedback on how we can continue to grow and evolve the program. I believe when women come together, we can co-create humanity's new story and contribute our gifts to the world. BigImpactWomen.com Go ahead make an impact.